Hallelujah. What a blessing we are experiencing here this week. It's unbelievable that God can be so good to us and to gather us in such a place like this. And we want to thank God for the covering we are all enjoying under our pastor, Bishop Kolenyati. It is a blessing to be under your leadership. The Bible says in the days of Solomon, there was prosperity. Even the servants, when the queen of Sheba went, she was even amazed at how the servants were dressed. And our pastor is a pastor under whom we are prospering, under whom some of us are experiencing the best times of our lives. And we want to say we appreciate you, Bishop. And uh, it's our prayer and our hope that all these investments you are making in our lives will yield and bear fruits. Yes. It's, it's, it is very important that you see all these as investments, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, when I look at my life and I look back, the decades pass and the kind of impartations and investments I've received from Bishop Dagwood Mills. You know, every moment of investment counts. But you will not know that something is happening to you. Yes. It's like a woman who takes seed. You finish whatever you are. I don't know how they do it, but she take the, I think they, normally they clean the kitchen, they scrub the floor, and then they take seed. But whatever they do to take seed, you see them walking around normally. But some women are not even aware that something is happening to them. But as the months roll by, they lose appetite for their regular diets and begin to have appetites for unusual things. And so are you going to lose appetite for things that did not matter but you were so interested in? And you are picking up new appetites. Appetites reading, appetites. Appetite for books. Appetite for the presence of God. Yes, but it's not just the appetite that changes. You know, as she goes on and on, her size changes. Yes, expect your size to change. Expect the size of your church to change. And they carry destinies within them. And I'm very convinced that you are also a carrier of destinies. Yes. There are many young men and women in your city and town. As I'm speaking now, they are nowhere near church. Some are drinking, some are fornicating, some are just loose in the world. But the transformation you are experiencing here will one day cause a gathering of thousands under your fold and in your flock. I'm very sure of that, that your ministry has taken a new size and weight. 
and I want to believe that this time we are spending here also will be another time of enrichment in our lives and ministries. Clap your hands for Jesus. And you may please be seated. What a blessing. What a blessing. We thank God. And tonight, it is unfortunate that our great conference or retreat as pastors is coming to an end. But I believe great things have happened here. Amen. Now, we are going to you remember I mentioned this morning that the, the foundation, the core of the main foundation we are building on today is from the principle of smaller subdivisions. Are you with me? Yes, the principle of smaller subdivisions. It's a very major key to building a mega church. Hallelujah. And it is that principle of smaller subdivisions that necessitates the, the raising of helpers. Because remember, the first point we saw in this book, The Mega Church, on the principles for church growth is the principle of the multiplied senior pastor. That on Sunday, if you can get 10 people to do what you do, there will be an increase, a multiplier effect. And I, 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 I want all of us to believe this, these two principles. Smaller subdivisions and the multiplied senior pastor. Smaller subdivisions and the multiplied senior pastor. Now, it is that principle of the multiplied senior pastor that leads us to the work of raising people that we can multiply ourselves in. Hallelujah. Now, how do you come by people in your congregation into whom you can pour virtues? How did Bishop Dagwood Mills find me in the church? How did he choose me and did not choose somebody else? Now, before we answer that question, I would like us to note two very major keys. Very important keys. Now, the, the first key, now, now, now we are dealing with practical issues. How to raise people. How do you find someone worthy of your investment in the church? Because we, we are now convinced 
and certain in our minds that you cannot be a superman. You cannot be a spider-man. Now, the first very important key you need to have if you want to raise helpers into whom you will multiply yourself is the key of seeing the church as a garden. Very, very, very key. Many pastors are not aware that the church they are pastoring is a garden. First Corinthians three nine. For we are laborers together with God. Wow, this is, this is very powerful, isn't it? I mean, people are very happy to say they are working in the, the presidency or they are the CEO of uh, the gold mines, a personal assistant. I mean, when you, say, when you say you are working with an important person, it lifts up your importance as well. That is why, another reason why the ministry is a high calling because in our case, we are not working with a president. We are not working with a CEO. We are working with God. Yes. Our co-laborer is God. So we are laborers together with God. Wouldn't you want to work with God? I mean, who would throw away the opportunity to work with God? You know, many times we say we are working for God. But it's time we also begin to see the ministry as working with God. The writer of Acts, St. Luke, says, and God, talking about the ministry of the apostles, and God working with them. I'll prefer to work with God than to work. So as you go to your hub, go there and be a laborer. Oh, I remember, I just can't think of a thousand and one things I've not been able to share with you. But what we've had is enough. Yes, it can take you far. Remember that God is a laborer. Ye are God's husbandry. This is the point I was making. You see, if you want to harvest workers and have people you work with, you must see the church as a husbandry. This is an old word for, the, for, for garden, a farm. The church is a garden. <laughs> yes. Now the rubber has met the road. If you put these principles aside, you are not going nowhere. Anywhere. The church is a garden. And no man plants tomatoes and goes there to harvest pepper. It's madness. Mommy, am I not speaking the truth? I mean, will you plant wheat and go there expecting plantains? 
No. What you put into the garden is what you take from the garden. So when as a pastor, the mainstay of your ministry and your preaching is increase and money and enjoyment and pleasures and your best life now. Nobody in the church will rise up. You know, the ministry we are talking about, especially the key to church growth, which is this key, Lycos, using lay people. The hundreds of workers under me in my church are not paid. We, there's no meeting we have weekly where we share TNT. Now take this and get to the job. Take this for taxi. Take this for dropping. Take this. No. To build a mega church, you must get people to understand that the work of God is a sacrificial work. And that is the feeding you must feed your church. You cannot preach prosperity. And plant desires in and appetites in your church members for greed and money. And expect to have people who will help you to build the church. You cannot continue preaching victory without sweat. All round supernatural enlargement. You cannot continue preaching success without limits. You know, whenever you are engaged in any endeavor of life, you know, and uh, you confuse the main issue with peripherals, you run the risk of being removed from where you are or destroying the work you are doing. Everything in life has got the main issue and they are also peripherals. I want to make you a little sad tonight by informing you that the main issue in Christianity the main issue is not prosperity. Even though as we serve God, as we work for God, check your Bible, read it and see. Hardly will you find anybody who worked for God or walked with God who was reduced. Check your Bible. Unless you are using apocrypha. There's no one who served God, who was diminished. The patriarchs were wealthy men, wealthy, rich, 
But ladies and gentlemen, that is not what they were looking for as they were walking with God. At the base of their prosperity, at the base of their wealth, was a principle of sacrifice. Get thee out of thy family, out of thy kindred, to a land that I will show you. So, when you later on see this man being rich in silver and gold and in cattle, you may think that he was working with God to be enriched. But all those riches were incidentals. Incidentals. Peripherals. But today, in the, in the average Christian charismatic church, we are taking the peripherals as the main thing. When you work in an office and you have a little privilege of being served with tea and some biscuits or some good office CV will give you some lunch and so on. It does not mean that you go to the office to drink tea. <laughs> you get it? Yes. But as you are working, as part of the human resource arrangement, Somebody comes around and serves some tea, you know, some, you know, finger foods here and there and so on. But it does not mean that you are there, you, you dress up going to work to drink tea. You may lose that job that gives you the tea. You must be seen to be doing the work and alongside working the work, working the work, tea is served. Ladies and gentlemen, we cannot build a mega church. <laughs> you try it and see. You try to build a mega church on the back of prosperity. And I'm sure as I'm speaking now, your mind is on those mega churches in America that are being fed on the, on, on the, on the um, junk food, junk food of money. Pleasures, prosperity, advancement, increase. And they are all large, fat churches. But believe me, they have no future. Most of those churches will end with the founder. Yes. That's why this morning I gave you that very important correlation between the ministry of Wade Harris and John Wesley. Somebody who built a church hundreds of years ago. His churches are littered all over the world. And someone who just comes and removes knowledge and just, and just preaches a certain type of message. He builds a church, church, but the church becomes an ephemeral church. Ephemeral, it's an ephemeral. You can leave here at this conference and go and continue in your success ways. Your success preaching. Prosperity preaching. You will have members. But I will not want to waste my time on anything that does not last. I was telling you something yesterday. I think I did not properly round it up. That you don't need a good foundation to build a house. A 
actually, you don't need a foundation to build a house. Jesus said there were two men. One built his house on a rock. And one, and Luke says, without a foundation, builded a house. So, when you see the pictures, both houses are built, completed, with air conditioning and glazing, uh, what do you call it, glazed windows and all that. Complete. But one has nothing under it. And I'm sure you know that in life, whatever we have, whatever we have, marriage, car, church, prosperity, pop, uh, um, uh, property, whatever you have is, is, is there waiting for the next storm. Mommy, I can see you are wearing a wedding ring. You are married, not so. Who's your husband? Yes. Your marriage is waiting for the next storm. Yes. It's waiting for the next storm. Don't be impressed when you see a husband and wife sitting together. <laughs> Don't be impressed. What have they been together? There are marriages that end. The man marries the woman for 35 years. After 35 years, he divorces the wife and goes to marry another man. Whatever you have in this life will be tested by storms. <laughs> it's not enough to build. It's not enough. When we see you built a house, we don't need to quickly clap for you. It's not enough to build. Whatever you have is waiting for the next storm. It is when the storm has raged and the floods have gone up. And everything has assuaged. And your house is still standing. That we say, yes, this is the house I want to live in. But before the storm, we are not impressed. Don't go back and build something that, is, that, that looks glorious, that mushrooms. And the next wind that blows scatters the entire church. If you've lived long enough, you will know. There are many things that existed. Yesterday, we cannot find them today. In our country, Ghana, just last week, Monday, this, this week, last week, Monday, we all woke up to the news. Two big banks in the country have been closed down. Big banks closed down. The test of your reality is the storms you are able to withstand. That's why I have already begged you not to build a church with rice and steel and fried rice. You will gather them, but a storm will sweep them all away. There are few churches, denominations in this world that can withstand a storm. So, so whatever you are doing, you must, you must learn to make the work of your hands storm-proof. Your marriage storm-proof. Your church stormproof. And one way of stormproofing your church is, is the teaching of the pure gospel. The pure gospel. That's why I'm saying that. I hope you're not going to leave here. I'm, I'm talking about the practical work now. There's nothing theoretical about it. Look, the church is a garden. And don't expect people to rise up to sacrifice. 
By standing here, I've sacrificed many things. But my pastor sold seeds. The message that releases power in the church is the message of the cross. If you are a pastor here and you don't have this book, I'll recommend you to you. I'll recommend this to you. And suggest that you do not live here. You don't walk out of Bulawayo without this book. Losing, suffering, sacrificing, and dying. This is a message that releases real power. You must teach your members to lose. <laughs> to lose. The word just Christ said, anybody who wants to save his life must lose it. If you want your life, lose it. Lose it. Go back. The church that releases workers, lay workers, who are ready to, to, to work, to do visitations, outreaches, have meetings, do things for free, is the church which has been fed on the meat of the, this is the real gospel. And this gospel, mommy, also makes us rich. The problem with us is that we are in the church using the logic of the world. I must have taught you this last year. That there are two types of logic. There is the one-step logic, which is the logic of the world. One-step logic says, if you want a keyboard, you look for a keyboard. You find it. You've got it. I want to marry a woman. I found a woman. I'm going for her to marry her. That's the logic of the world. I want money. I go where money is. That's the logic of the world. I want to go up here. I look for the nearest staircase and start climbing. That's the logic of the world. That is the one-step logic which leads to disasters. By the way, the one-step logic is the logic of animals. You want to eat meat, you find the next deer. <laughs> animals. You are having sexual feelings, you look for the nearest dog on heat. You want to eat grass, you look for where it is green. The logic of the world is the logic of animals. They are there, living like animals, sleeping among themselves, spouses exchanging themselves. Take my own, I'll give you my own. When we finish, we'll compare notes. The one who screams more is the better one. I'm preaching, baby. And there are pastors in the kingdom of God who are using the one-step logic of the kingdom of the world. 
that if you want your church to be a prosperous church, if you want to raise rich people, you stand in front of them and you preach about money. Any pastor who does that is not different from a cow. Cow. If you want your church to be a rich church, you don't preach about money. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So the logic of the church, of the kingdom of God, is a multi-step logic. That's why there is something very funny about a pastor who has made the preaching of money his goal. Five M's of money. Money, come to me now. You cannot preach money, come to me now and expect helpers to rise up, sacrifice their learning time, resting time. I mean, on Sundays, you ask, I'm talking about people working on Sundays. The people who will work with you on Sundays must understand the virtue of sacrifice. Yes. Because anybody who stays with you in church till 6 p.m. on Sunday is sacrificing something. And the logic of this house, this kingdom, is a multi-step logic. If you want to marry a woman, you don't look for a woman. You look for God. If you want money, and there's nothing wrong with wanting to have money. But if you want to have money, what do you seek? The kingdom of God. You seek evangelism. You seek the well-being of the church. You seek the building of the church. And the Lord himself, who gives all things, blesses you. Yes. My wife got a husband by doing outreaches. She didn't step out of her house going through town looking for a husband. Who will marry me? Who will marry me? Marriage was not part of her thinking. All she wanted to do was to serve God, to do his will, to win souls, and found me and won me to the Lord. And as I looked at her white eyes, I looked at her nose. I said, This girl, I will marry you one day. And today she has a husband. Some of you sisters here who don't have husbands, perhaps if you have done more outreaches last two years, you would have had somebody marrying you. I, I, I tell you, I, I lie to you, you not. This kingdom, this kingdom, there is nothing, there is, I don't, if you, if you know of one, let me know. There is nothing in this kingdom you get by going for it. <laughs> to get anointing, you don't go for anointing. To be anointed, you go for humble service. Yes. To be anointed, you humble yourself. To go up in this kingdom, you go down. The way up is the way down. But in the world, the way up is the way up. So, number one, if you want to build a church where people serve God, they sacrifice their time, their energy. I mean, by being a pastor, I have to sacrifice American green dollars. 
I had a little church. Some 30 or so people. Young, young boys, a few sickly looking people. 30. But the Lord told me, you are not leaving this group to go and look for dollars. I stayed. And because of security reasons, I can't tell you what the Lord has done for me. <laughs> I said, because of security reasons. Because <laughs> when I look through, not all men have faith. <laughs> the Lord blesses. I said, the Lord blesses. But he doesn't bless you your way. There are too many namers in the church who come to God with their own ideas of how he should bless them. I thought the prophet would come out of his room. I thought he would say something to me. I thought he would lay his hands on me. I thought he would be with me. And none of that happened. He had to humble himself and dip in the river Jordan. When there were better rivers in Damascus than Abana and Zappa. Go back to your church and change your message. Change your message. Because if you feed your members with greed, you are only going to have members living on loans, false prosperity, driving cars they don't own, stealing money, millions of dollars and rands and pounds. Because their pastor himself is mirroring greed. They want to be like their pastor. They want to drive the car he drives. What they don't know is that the pastor himself is living on loans. People are using all kinds of gimmicks to look shiny. So when you are in the kingdom and you are doing the right thing, you are not even impressive. Not really impressive. See, pastors will use God's sacred desk and be preaching administration and be preaching money, be preaching all types of earthly things that Jesus himself has said that if you have it, it will be difficult to enter the kingdom. We are in the church showing our members how to have it. That's the first point I've made. I'm talking about how when we go back, we are going to have young girls, young boys, businessmen, lawyers, doctors, working with us, desiring. The young men who have, who have come with me working here, we're not fed on prosperity. I don't even know how to preach it. This message I'm preaching is a real prosperity message. Because remember, in the kingdom, things don't look the way they are. One of the ways to know where you are is in the kingdom. I mean, which, which adverbs and adjectives are you using? <laughs> I mean, you are preaching, you are preaching as you prosper. You came to teach me five M's of money and large bank increase. I see your car. And we are, I mean, and it's my now. I've come, I'm preaching, I'm, I'm working doing outreaches, doing everything. Even in a crowd, the church I pastor, the amount of money that is generated in the church. If I don't understand this work, this, these words, 
I'll go mad. Go back to your church. See, how to build a denomination that lasts is this. You put this aside and you take success and increase. The members will never give up anything. Number two. Second key. I'm talking now. This evening's session is not for everybody. Because not everybody wants his church to go. This evening's session is for the few pastors who are passionate about growing their churches. To have a big church. To have a mega church. And the first key, I said to have a mega church. You don't have any idea how church growth is connected to this. But you may never see them together. Most of the time you see these three books together. Church planting, church growth, and mega church. Yes. But to have this, to have this, you must have this. In my church, the leaders, even their own money, sometimes they spend their own money to help people to be bust to church. Sometimes even the offerings they take in the home cell or whatever, it's not enough to pay for the cost of busting the people. Because not everybody has money to even give an offering. Some of you here, even if we slap you, we can't get one dollar from you. Even if we slap you. Are you having a good time? You may, you may not see, but without this green book, you can't have these red books. It's, it's, a, it's, it's an eternal principle. And this book is what releases power. Power to grow a church. Power to build a big church. Power to plant a church. I mean, to plant a church. Ah, what are you talking about? Church planting. Who should go and plant a church? Who should go and plant a church? And on what? So a lot of pastors, if they send people, they must pay them. Or they tell them that when you take the offerings, eat it. <laughs> go to Monrovia. Start a, a branch in the name of Lighthouse. When the offerings come, eat it. It's for you. But not our church. No. When you go to plant a church somewhere, you send a missionary. If you are a full-time pastor, the church pays you. There's uh, arrangements. You don't touch the offerings. No, there is in our 3,000 churches, there is no branch where the pastor has recourse to the funds in the church. Not, not one. Not one. You will be paid, you will have your salary, but it, it's, it, it's not like, 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 like 
One African country, the president said, um, you know, like any animal that is tied to a tree eats around, eats the grass there. So if we tie you to Harare, go to her and eat the grass that is there. There's not even one branch that has offerings that, like, you, you, when you feel taking the offering, the money sent you to, to, the, to your car. <laughs> Have you plant churches? Do you plant churches? It must be very sacrificial. And when you have free prosperity and uh, um, luxury, and that's why a lot of churches, when they are starting, they start with 100 people. First service, inaugural service, 200 people. Because the pastor has already been in the city, moving from church to church, stealing church members. Oh, yes. A lot of pastors are thieves. Thieves. They go to Washington to start a church. They go there six months earlier. Or they start the church six months after. They move around. They move around using false prophecies and gimmicks and promises and money. But by the time they are having their first inaugural service, there's an ace keyboard they say, but he's not there to sacrifice. Every key he presses one dollar. Be careful. Be careful. Be careful. To plant a church. I wish maybe tomorrow I may have the time to talk to you briefly about church planting as well. But I'm laying a very, 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 very unavoidable foundation. The second key. Is the key of shepherding. You want to have workers sacrificing their time. Some of them will sacrifice their profession. Their glorious future they have planned. When I entered medical school, I had the drawings of the hospital I, I, I was going to build. I had the drawings. I had the sketches. There were houses in Accra. There's one building in Laboni I had, I had drawn sketches as one of the structures in my hospital. But I met the power. It's called the power of the love of a shepherd. It, it dissolved all my plans and gave me a better life. See, 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 because Jeremiah says that the way of a man is not in himself. 23.10. The way of a man is not in himself. He said, it is not in a man that walketh to direct his own path. No man is, is, has, has what it takes to direct his life. He said, it is not in a man that working is not in you. Have you noticed that the, the, the plans that work are the plans you never plan to plan? 
Have you not seen that the marriage today, where your husband prepares tea for you, he loves you, he calls you honey, it's the marriage you didn't even plan. But the man, the fool you were chasing to marry, he's in jail now in Hawaii. Our plans, your personal plans, where I'm standing today, blessed, increased, prosperous, where I'm standing today, I didn't plan to be here. I didn't plan to be here. I didn't plan. When I was on the plane coming here last year, about how did I get to be invited to a place? I mean, I don't have any idea that, that I mean, to, to go for a conference. I'm, I'm serving my father happily. He has a conference, I go introduce books and so on before he preaches. I don't, I don't have any idea that somebody will invite me. And I mean, the, the, the place I'm sleeping, you and your grandparents can never even end that place. You and your grandparents. You and your parents and your grandparents, together, you can't afford it. Drop your cars, baby! I said, drop your cars, baby! I realized that my Ghanaian accent is not working, so I'm now Americanizing it. I said, drop your cars, baby! Drop your funny plans. He says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans, thoughts of good. To bring you, not evil, to bring you to an expected end. There is no plan of yours. As a person, I had a plan. How to grow a church. And it was working. Cooking rice and stew, side rice, check, packing, checking. They, they were coming to the church. <laughs> Why do you spend money on that which is spurious? Money, there is no, not even one plan of yours. Even the plans you have for your children can destroy them. Your children, sometimes in loving our children, we end up destroying their destinies. Because it is not in a man. That's why Hannah, the wisest, when she gave birth, she just carried him and brought him to the man. Please, you, before I, I mess this one also up. <laughs> and did he not rise up to become a major prophet in the nation of Israel? May you learn to surrender your plans to God. Surrender your plans to God. The plans you are making are God's plans. Drop them. Bogus. Thank you for correcting me. Bogus, not bogus. Bogus. Stand in front of your chest, a grown up like you with a pot belly. You are preaching money. I want you to finish. You want them to rise up and sacrifice to build a church with you? This is, this is schizophrenia of the highest form. There's a schism in your something is split in your mind. Some actresses have best. Number two, after number two, I'm, I'm preaching. Oh, you may think I'm joking. 
But you, you go and disregard these two things I'm sharing with you tonight. You will discover that when God sends someone to you, it's your interest to listen to what he's saying. Even though he sounds like a madman, listen carefully. You cannot get people to give themselves to you as a pastor when you have not loved them. Hey! Mark 3.14 And he ordained 12. He ordained the 12. That they might be with him and that he might send them to go forth and preach. You cannot send people when they have not been with you and enjoyed your care and enjoyed your love. You don't just get up in the church and say, Son of you, up, up, son of you, son of up, you, the two of you, son of the man there, you. Yes, you, son of you, up, you, up. 5.30, come to my office. You, you are now pastors. You are going to be shepherds. Next week, I'm giving you a list, prayer list. We are fasting two days nonstop without uh, food, without water. Next week. And then you, Alice, see me. I'm giving you a zone in the area where we already have some 68 members. You are caring for that zone. Madness. You don't just entice it. You take it up. You say, go. These guys are Kenyan. I can send him right now to America. Right now. If I say, get up, take your passport, go to America, go to Cincinnati, see my cousin, he will give you a parcel, bring it to me, meet me in a crowd next week. Yes. Why? Why? Because I have loved him. I have cared for him. I have served him. The pastor who has people working, as I stand here, Bishop Dagwood Mills. That's why, you see, many pastors outside Lighthouse have the erroneous impression that we are being, we are being flipped into alignment by loyalty messages. I don't remember the last time Bishop Dagwood Mills preached the message of loyalty to us in this church. Oh, of course, we've had devils in the church. We have. But I'm not here because of loyalty. The greatest is love. The greatest is not loyalty. The greatest is love. And this book, The Art of Shepherding, will put into your hands the, 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 the way without it takes to love your sheep. To minister to them. That is what the elderly men told Rehoboam. Look at the first things. Keep standing. I shouldn't be the only one who is standing to preach. But we all pay tithes. First Kings 12. 
verse 7. 1 Kings 12 and verse 7. Rehoboam wanted to find how, I mean, the best way to lead his people. And in this, you find the keys to ministry. The keys to having servants in your church. I am a servant in my church. And they spake unto him, saying, If thou wilt be a servant unto this people. I don't know how to preach tonight. I, 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 I don't know how to express myself. If only, man of God, if only you will rise up to be a servant. And once again, you see the principle of the, of, of the, of the garden. You put in, you bring out. Before I start reading, I'm starting this verse from the back. He says, then, in America we say, watch this, watch this. Then, they will be thy servants forever. They will be thy shepherds. They will be thy pastors. They will be thy leaders serving you forever. This is how to have people serving you forever. This is how to have people into whom you multiply yourself. This is how to have people who sacrificially come and give themselves. Sometimes people do things for me and I ask, why? Why is this person going such lengths? But I know the key. I have to also humbly ask myself. He said, no, I said again, then. Everybody say, thy servants. Oh, I can't hear you. Say, thy servants. How many of you want to have servants? You want to have servants? You want to have workers? People serving your church? Say again, thy servants. Just then, they will be thy servants forever. This verse is how a pastor harvests workers. To harvest servants, you must be a servant. Preaching Bishop, I'm trying. To harvest servants in your church, you must yourself be a servant. And remember what Jeremiah 616 said? He said, stand ye in the way and see and ask for what? The old path, the old paths. And this advice was given by old men, gray-haired elderly men who had worked with Solomon, who had counseled Solomon. But Rehoboam the fool would have none of that. We have none of that. And in his reign, Rehoboam, Israel had been one nation for centuries. He began Judah and Israel. Mommy, do you want to have servants in your church? People who work. Somebody you can send and say, um, 
I had her. This young man, come, come in. Share your testimony. How you got your wife? How did you get your wife? Um, nine years ago, my pastor then, Bishop Ampopo, he sent me to visit a young man who smokes weed. But I also Indian come from hemp. Indian hemp. And I also come from a background of smoking Indian hemp. And he says that I'm the best person to speak to him because he would understand me better. So when I went to the house, I met a lady who happens to be the young man's sister. And by the time I finished following in up, I've got a wife. And we've been married for, this September is nine years with three children. Yeah. A short man like this. A short man like this. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want people to serve you, if you want people to send, serve them first. So service, and you will reap service. Yes. So the elderly man told him in First Kings twelve. Go back to the verse. You bring up scriptures at the wrong time. Move and put up the proper scripture. There, let me finish preaching. The elderly man advised him. What was the advice? Number one, if you will be a servant to them today, and you serve them. So to me, for me to come to my church and say, stand up, stand up, stand up. When I have not served you, when I have not been a servant to you, and to demand servanthood from you, is the peak of madness. They may agree to serve, but you can't do anything for long with fear. No. If you will be a servant to these people, and you will serve them, and answer them, answer them, Answer them does not mean that when they ask you what is your name, you say, my name is Michael. Or what is the longest river in, in Africa? You say, river, uh, uh, what, Nile. No, that's not answer them. Answer them means that find solutions here to their problems. Be a solution center to their problems. That when, when they see you, they see someone who will solve their problems. When they are fighting at home and they come to you, this man will be an answer to their marital issues. An answer. Be an answer to them. How can I just call her? You are now going to be my zonal leader in that area. When I have not helped you to even choose your subjects in the university. When I have not started to find out 
which relationship you are in, who's your husband, who are you marrying. I'll say, I want to meet the man you are going to marry. And when the man comes, after five minutes, I say, God bless you. And when he goes, I call you aside and say, he's a fool, don't mind him. I've, I've, I've not served you. I mean, she has not benefited from me. Then I am preaching, baby. To get someone to serve you down there, you must serve them up there and answer them. Answer them. Be a solution to their confusion. There are many young men around me with wives and children who would never have married if I had not held their hands and, and sent them to, I said, propose to her now. I said, propose now. I'm waiting for you. Then he will kneel down and say, Alice, will you marry me? Say, I've been waiting for this question a long time. Answer them. Answer them. That is, find answers to the questions of their lives. The nagging issues in their lives. Help them. She wants a job. Help her to see that man who knows the CEO of that company. Answer them. She's just giving birth. She needs someone to help to babysit. Answer them. You call a little girl you know because she may not know all the members of the church. But you know of a girl who just finished school and is at home. Hey, Emilia, come around. Come and uh, babysit for, um, what do you call it, Auntie Alberta. Just be with her for two weeks. I'll tell you what to do. Answer them. Close from church. As we are going home, you pass by who are walking into their house. And then you're right to playing Mozart. And your members are walking with their two feet. And when you come to church, you say you should stay behind at 11 p.m. to have a meeting with you. Madman! One of my members came to me one night. She said she was in a car going to be dropped home, and one of the members of the church came to you know, rebuke her, something happened. It's a long story I didn't want to go into. But, so she was, she said, she won't come to church again. So why? It was in the evening, around 9 p.m. We had finished our weekday service. I said, sit down. I'm having a meeting. When I finish, I'll, I'll send you home. I finished the meeting. I said, sit in the car. Let's go. I took her. By the time I was coming back, a brand new car, a boat had come off the car. The road. Because the, the leader, the shepherd who went to rebuke her in somebody's car has never been to her house before. So does not even know what it has taken this girl to come to the church service. 
if you will serve them, when you visit a church member, you are serving. Oh, yes. And answer them. And speak good words to them. Good words because we are living in a world of pain and disappointment. And everyone needs someone who will come and put a son it is well. You will do well. You failed your exam, you write it again. You will pass. I know Brother Alfred, he is good at maths. He will help you, but don't you are not a failure. I myself, I failed my exam. I pass. And I'm a doctor now. Do I look like a failure in life? You also make it. So don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. It is well. Good words! And when you've done these four things, you've been a servant to them. You have served them. You have answered them and spoken good words to them. They will fall for you. They will die for you. They will go anywhere for you. That's why some of you, thank you, pastors, you can sit down. That's why some of you, you cannot find even a wee smoker to serve you in church. Even a wee smoker who is being rehabilitated. Because your ministry, you see, you may think because I've not put up a graph or shown you some technical things, you have to this way, this print, this one, uh, this we press this, the, the data will come green and red. And this, this, this evening session may be the most important session in all the two days we've had. Believe me, I'm telling you. want to have, you want to build the church. First of all, you must believe what Bishop said this morning, that you cannot do much alone. And that's why I read the story of Uzziah. Second Chronicles 26. Is it 15? Go back to it and let's see. Second Chronicles 26. Even the scriptures I'm mentioning is really difficult to put up, let, let alone asking you to find the scripture. Please, let me see the person who does the projection. I'll give him six lashes. <laughs> that was a joke. Yes. Verse 15. What is it? He went to war against Philistines. Are we in a battle here? Look at him too. Is it a brother or a sister? Second Chronicles 26, verse 15. Uh, who is the one projecting? Are you an imam or what? <laughs> is he a Christian? <laughs> I'm ending now. And he made in Jerusalem angels. But even though his name was on the angels, really, 
those engines were not made by Uzziah. So you see engines called Uzziah engines, but he did not make them. That's a certain level of ministry. Where your name is on something, you are not the one building. If you come to my church, the people who are working in, on the ground, I'm not the one. But my name is on the church. My name is on the work. Nobody knows anyone. I'm the one they know. <laughs> I'm the one they know. But what you may not know is that everyone working there, inventing things for me, has been served by me. Anybody, there's no one around me, living or dead, who has not enjoyed a certain level of shepherding care for me. He made in Jerusalem engines. But the reality is that the engines were invented by cunning men. To be on the towers and the bulwarks, to shoot arrows. And his name, when you build a mega church, Harvest House is known worldwide. It's, Bishop Colin is not a local hero. <laughs> He's a minister of international reputes. He's, clap your hands. His name spread far abroad. Why? How did Uzziah come to this place of international repute? Because he was marvelously helped. You can never be great without help. Never. There is no university, there is no course in this world that will make you great without people buoying you up. I read from Exodus about Moses that even to have his hand lifted, Aaron and her had to lift up the hand. You cannot do much without help. That is why you must understand that the best pastoral methods are what I'm sharing with you. These are long-term methods, not tomorrow morning rise and still growth. Long-term to have people who have been with you for 20 years. He was marvelously helped. And to get that help as a pastor, number one, you preach the message of sacrifice. You must understand that the church is a garden. And what you put in is what you get out. And number two, you must, you must develop your shepherding skills. Develop your love life, so to speak, quote-unquote. A pastor without a love life is no pastor. A shepherd is a lover. A shepherd loves so much that he's ready to abandon 99 sheep to go out for one. And when he's coming back with that sheep on his neck, that sheep itself knows that 
my, my master has, has, has gone far to find me. May there be a soul on your neck one of these days. May you be carrying someone who went astray. You see that blessing now. And the love. In a few minutes, I want to read some of the ways to separate your members. I'm sh- sh- showing you a few things to do as a pastor. If you are a man of God, woman of God, of wealth, of substance, this is it. This is it. Become a good shepherd by following the examples of the good shepherd. How do you think Jesus had people who were ready to die for him? Because he died for them first. <laughs> you think about it. They, they will arrest these guys, Peter and John, beat them up. Beat them up. Put them in jail. But the grace of God, an angel comes and rescues them. Sends them to the market square to go home. Rather, they, they wait for the angel to leave. As soon as the angel leaves, they begin to clap their hands and say, Come again! I didn't finish my sermon. <laughs> Why? Because the one they were prepared to die for had already died for them. No one dies for you when the person does not feel that you have also died for him. I'm preaching. I'll finish the preaching. It's just two minutes more. My time is up. My time is up. But listen carefully as we part ways tonight. Follow Jesus. Don't follow Bill Gates. Follow the good This is how. How to have people. Shepherding them. Caring for them. Follow the good shepherd, be a good shepherd by preaching, teaching, and healing. If you are a pastor, you must develop your teaching skills. Have I not taught you these two days? Yes. You, if I can, if a samurai like me can, can do that, you, fluent in speech, can do better. To have people Sweetheart, as we end, I want to tell you, one of the ways to have people who will never leave you is to develop the power of your words. Yes. I'm not talking about using Greek and Hebrew. Tonight I'm preaching about Escopos and Eskatos. You are a comedian. You are a comedian. Escopos and Eskatos. When Jesus preached in Mark 2, they said, what wisdom is this? What? How? A carpenter? You know, let me tell you, one of the ways to have people stuck on you is when they find your words reverting. Reverting, reverts. Your words reverting. Reverting. Jesus asked the disciples, won't you also go? Peter stood up and said, 
go where? You have even called me Satan, but honestly, <laughs> I have nowhere to go. And you know the answer he gave? The answer is there in John 6. He said, you have the words. call yourself a pastor, you are watching Nigerian movies instead of watching your pastor preaching. Some of you are close to becoming directors of Nollywood movies. You know when a season ends and when a season begins. Bogus. To whom shall we go? I'm yet to meet a preacher who ministers to me, my soul, like Bishop Dagwood Mills. His breasts feed me. I don't know what I'll be doing in somebody's church on a Sunday sitting there listening to what? Rhymes or poems. <laughs> when my pastor comes and he gives us, he just comes and stands there. As soon as he comes, Mark 6. <laughs> As we start, Mark 6. Jeremiah 14. And the first, the first revelation you will give, if we are watching soccer, we say it's an early goal. <laughs> Clap your hands for Jesus. Normally in preaching, it's around the 20th minute. That's the minute where you have the revelations haven't been synthesized and it comes out with a bang. But when my pastor preaches, first two minutes, early goal. A killer revelation. Why? Because he has developed his skill of teaching. Some of you, we must give you three hours before we start understanding what you are saying. Oh, I feel blessed here. I, I mean, I've had a church service tonight. My God. When you start to speak, without giving money, without giving clothes, without giving food, your words can cause people to be riveted. To whom? You don't know. You say we should go where? Where? Meanwhile, as Peter was saying these things in John 6, his boat was in a corner. He had he, Peter never sold his boat. Look, I'm telling you. People gave up their nets. Gave up. Peter's boat was that when Christ was buried, he told, and he said, I go a fishing. <laughs> hey, Peter! I mean, we didn't know you had a boat. As we are all here, we have given up our things. <laughs> You are going a fishing. You have a net. You have a boat. Hey! So I'm going. The man is dead. I'm going. Peter. <laughs> I go a fishing. This is the man who, in spite of his boat waiting for him outside, said, I have nowhere to go. What you have to give me 
is more than what I'll get from teaching. Your words soothe my soul. Your words encourage me. Your words boil my life up above the hurdles and the walls and the issues of this life. I can never part from you because of your words. I went to a church in London many years ago. This was about 30 years ago. As I sat in the church, I did not, I, today I cannot tell you, I don't know when the message ended and announcements began. I'm angry. Just give me two minutes. Just give me some extra time. Just two minutes. Become a good shepherd. By becoming a good leader. A good shepherd is a good leader. A leader is someone who moves people from point A to point B. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness. He leadeth me. John writing and quoting the words of Jesus in John 10, verse 3. He said, To whom the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he called his own sheep by name, and leadeth them. Some of us are bad African leaders. You see how every morning our people queue at embassies, leaving our countries, Zimbabwe, Ghana, Togo. Or you, or you don't have that here. Do they queue at embassies? The same in Accra. The same in Accra. Plenty. Plenty. What do you think they are running away from? The weather? We have some of the best for Southern Africa weather. Best environment. What do you think they are running away from? Their parents? They love them. Some are running away even from their children. The, what the, the African is running away from by going to embassy school is that they are running away. They are, they are fleeing a certain type of leadership. If you have lived in Europe, America, and you are honest, you know that it is far nicer living in Africa than living there. It's cool. The air. The atmosphere. But the black man says, I, they are swimming. They are swimming to Spain. Sharks are chasing them. Why? Why? What are they running away from? The atmosphere? The cloud? From leadership? There is a certain leadership when you are under, you will never become great. Oh, I'm preaching, baby. 
May your members not run away from your leadership. Benihin. Benihin came to Accra. We had a meeting in a huge place, close to, not too far from my church. But I mean, not very distant. I had a beautiful convention. My church members were there. They were with me. They knew Benihin was in town. There is something that makes a sheep chase and follow his shepherd. That is amazing. Yes, but some of you, if your branch is near Benihin's church, you yourself will join. <laughs> You'll be sitting there with your members. When Benihin is with you, just give your a high five. Wow, preach on, Benny. Chapter 10 and verse 4. John chapter 10 and verse 4. And when he put forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him. For they know his voice. If you are a pastor, speak to your members. Your members must know their vo- your voice. There are times my church members have come to tell me. Recently, a wife told me that my husband did something and I was about to explode at home and I heard your voice. Oh yes, many, I hear this many times. Your, your voice as a pastor is not only heard when you are preaching on a Sunday morning. When you sit with them one-on-one, when you sit with them at meetings, correcting their work, sharing scriptures with them, your voice becomes very, very powerful to them. And whenever they are tempted to stray, they hear your voice. If you are a pastor, develop your voice. I urge you, pastor, listen to me as we close. Develop your voice by developing your preaching. When you speak, it must not be filled with African proverbs. When you speak, it must be filled with the wisdom of God. Every verse you drop is like a bomb which explodes the enemy's machinations and the enemy's plans. Let your voice be heard. Develop your voice. I'm not saying you must do voice training. Develop your voice by listening to other voices. Develop your voice. You can never speak till you hear. I told you last week. You can never speak. You can't say anything. What language do you speak in Zimbabwe here? Shona. Do you speak Shona, sir? Yes. Did you know that you are not speaking Shona because you are Zimbabwean? Why are you speaking Shona? You didn't learn, you heard, you grew up hearing Shona. If you like, go and give birth to your children in China. They are Zimbabweans, but when they open their mouth, in one time, what you want to do, it a Zimbabwean. Why? Because what you hear always is what comes out of your mouth. 
You speak English not because you are British. I was a Zimbabwean. Why do you speak such impeccable English? Because what you hear is what you say. Develop your voice. Listen to messages. I will recommend Bishop's podcast as well as my Bishop's podcast. Daddy Ward Mills. Listen, you will speak sense. Days I've spent here. Have I not spoken sense? What, what, what do you say? What I've said? What have you preaching? What, what's your summary? So maybe it could be our lives and uh, there is a great change and a shift even in my mindset. A great mindset shift of how I thought and how I saw some things. I believe that there is been a really great shift. If I have come here, Bishop introduced shall we welcome Bishop Edwin Ogo to minister all the way from Accra. Let's clap for him when I come. When I start with the Bible. Sorry to use this example because it, it, it's, it's very sensitive. But I have to use it. I'm sorry. I'm speaking this way. And if there's anybody here with a son who can't speak, the person will be offended. It's, it's, it's offensive. But please forgive me because I needed to do what I've done. Because when a child doesn't speak after four years and they open their mouth, they, they make sound, noises. Because that's what they hear. That's what they hear. So a good doctor, when you take your child to him, that your child is not speaking. It doesn't open the mouth. If the person says, open your mouth first, you are dealing with a herbalist. <laughs> a good doctor will look into your ear with an otoscope because he knows that what is coming out of your mouth or not coming out, it means there's something not entering. So when a child... A man, eight years, 16 years, speaking. <laughs> sorry, sorry for that, for that. But I must tell you, I must, uh, I need to, you to understand. You see, what he's saying is exactly what he hears. Yes, flashes of sound. Flashes of sound. Sometimes they correct with hearing aids and all kinds of things. Some never do well. Because, so when he opens his mouth, he only exudes what he has taken in. So when you are a pastor and you don't listen to messages, you don't develop your voice, you don't soak podcasts, the two days I've spent with you, the things I've said are a direct result of the things I've been hearing over the years, even this morning. When you don't hear, when you don't train yourself, your voice becomes weak. There's no power in your voice. But he says that, for they know his voice. My God, thank you. Because of a pastor, there are no messages you are listening to. You take, you take your iPad, only music. <laughs> Don't have messages. Podcasts. We used to have Makane. If you go on the website, on the internet, you, you, you type Dag, you want Mills audio. 
dag, he would mails audio, dot org. You will have a plethora of messages. No wonder your voice is gone from you. Some of you don't understand. And that's why some of us have, on Sunday, we preach for three hours because you need three hours to start making sense. Because it's three hours of rubbish with sign language. It's a sign language they put together to know you are preaching about money. Stand to your feet and let's pray. Lift your two hands and let's pray. So much to share. Lift your hands. Lift your two hands and pray and say, Lord. Let me do things real, the real way. Deliver me from fake pastoral work. Help me to do things that last. Help me to serve you the right way. Show me the old paths. Show me the right way. Today, I come to you. I humble myself and ask you to help me never to be alone in anything I do. Teach me to serve others. Teach me to minister to others so that others minister to me. Make me a shepherd of substance. A pastor with weights. Lead me, Lord. Teach me, Lord the right way. For there is wisdom for this work. You've called me to the best job on earth. This is the high calling. There is nothing like this job. But show me. Let me be like Jesus. In John 6, 6. Who knew what to do? Show me what to do. Show me what to do. I thank you for the great salvation of experience. I thank you. In Jesus' name. Keep clapping your hands. And I encourage everybody for just $70, get the Macarius. Don't be a minister who is empty. Clap your hands, I'm speaking. These three books, Church Planting, Mega Church, and Church Growth, they are there for $20. But if I were you, I'll buy the entire pack of 40 books for $70. Clap your hands and let's appreciate our daddy, our bishop, our pastor, Bishop Colin to take over tonight.